Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever you are tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guys who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. In honor of the state's 200th birthday, our Missouri will feature a series throughout 2021 entitled Bicentennial Book Club, which discusses award-winning publications that detail the state's diverse history, as well as the stories behind the stories featured within their pages. Our guest today is William Parrish. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Missouri and is presently a professor emeritus of history at Mississippi State University. He is the author of several books, including David Rice Atchison of Missouri, Border Politician, Turbulent Partnership, Missouri and the Union, 1861-1865, Missouri Under Radical Rule, 1865-1870, and Frank Blair, Lincoln's Conservative. Welcome to our Missouri, Dr. Parrish. Thank you. Now, as we look at your career and the number of books that you've published, how and when did this interest in Civil War and really 19th century Missouri develop for you? Well, it's hard to say. I uh, grew up in Western Kansas with the cowboy and Indian emphasis, uh, emphasis out there, 50 miles west of Dodge City. And uh, I went to Kansas State for my undergraduate. And, uh, but I've always been drawn to Missouri because that's my father's home state. It had a lot of a lot of relatives there. My mother was from Iowa. So I spent a lot of time in both both of those states. As for the Civil War, uh, I had an aunt who gave me a book early on when I was a youngster, a history book. Uh, it was one of these general history books, but it fascinated me. And I became interested in history and, and read a lot of history all through high school. Eventually, when I got to Missouri to start my graduate work in 1952, I was drawn, uh, I guess, as much as anything by a couple of my professors, uh, Jim Bug and Lewis Atherton, in this direction, in terms of their suggesting where I might go uh, for my master's. I, I did my master's on David Rice Atchison. And uh, it was uh, it was my first published book, and uh, then moved on into the general area of the Civil War, following Atchison's career, and uh, in relation to um, well, no, I'll take it back. Atchison was my was was my dissertation. Excuse me, and uh, I did the uh, the master's degree on on the Missouri government during the Civil War. So one thing just simply led to another. That, uh, and I've, I've, been, I've, I've taught Civil War. I, I, when I finished at, West, at uh, the university, I went to Westminster College right out and uh, began teaching. And I taught a course in the Civil War, which proved to be very popular. 
fact, uh, became the centerpiece of my uh, career at Westminster, although I taught a lot of other courses too. So just one thing led to another, a lot of circumstances, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I got involved in Missouri history because that's where my resources were. Having done my master's and PhD uh, in that area, I just simply continued to develop that and uh, got my early publications out of it. You mentioned there uh, James L. Bug Jr. and Lewis Atherton. Uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with both of those individuals. Well, Jim Bug was my thesis and dissertation uh, advisor, and Dr. Atherton was the second uh, reader on all of those. The two men had an office up on the top floor of Jesse Hall. And uh, they shared that office with Jesse Wrench, who was a very noted figure in a different area. We graduate assistants had our bullpen, if you want to call it that, not too far from them on the, sec on the top floor of, of Jesse. But uh, the first year I was there, I, I was a graduate assistant over in correspondence, uh, grading uh, correspondence papers, something that we do today online. But in those days, uh, it was, uh, you give them the questions, they fill it out and pass it back and so on. But then I got a graduate assistantship in the department as such. And we had a five hour course in American history, which was taught by Jim Bug. He did three lectures a week and we TAs then handled two discussions a week. And so um, I got to know Jim very, very well, particularly since he was my advisor and Dr. Atherton was right there with him. And I came to respect those two gentlemen uh, a great deal. While I was in graduate school, I also served as the director of student affairs at First Baptist Church. And Jim's wife was the director of the student work at uh, the Episcopal Church. And so we worked together. It was just uh, a good uh, camaraderie. Jim and I made one long trip together at Christmas of 1954. We drove back to Virginia, which was his native state, and uh, went all the way through Kentucky and what have you. And then he let me out and I got on the train and went into DC, worked at the LC for a few days before I came on back another way. My father worked for the railroad. And so I was able to travel on a pass uh, until I received my PhD at 24. We had trains in those days, they went everywhere. And I, I made the most of my opportunity to, to ride free, if you will, going from one coast to another, but it, it gave me an opportunity to go back to DC on a couple of occasions and, and get uh, some research done. But Dr. Atherton was a wonderful individual. I went out to the Huntington Library to work in manuscript collection out there in 1964. And he was working out there at the same time and he set it up for me to uh, sort of fit me into the system out there. He told me that Alan Nevins, who was a very prominent uh, Civil War historian at the time, 
always took his lunch break at uh, 12 o'clock and walked out through the Huntington Gardens. And he was he welcomed people to join him. So I, I joined Alan Nevins for about three or four of those days. We had good conversations. I was very stimulated by that. But when we got back to the front door at exactly one o'clock, Dr. Nevins went up to his room. I went back to my work and that was it. I got a lot done out there, uh, stuff that uh, went into Missouri under radical rule. But it was a very interesting experience. And Dr. Atherton sort of paved the way for me. He got me a lodging or got my, me and my wife lodging uh, over at the uh, Caltech nearby. It, it was a very, very good experience that, that, that Dr. Atherton set up. He helped me in so many other ways. A group of our graduate students later honored him with an award uh, in the department to help other graduate students later on. Another in individual who had a great deal of influence on me was Elmer Ellis. I was privileged to take Elmer Ellis's last graduate seminar and we became good friends and he was largely instrumental in getting me the job at Westminster when, when I finished my PhD. When I started working at the State Historical Society back in uh, the early or mid 1950s, which is gosh now 60 years ago, Dr. Shoemaker was the director of course, and he had an office on the main floor of the library. He had one room, he had a secretary who and a receptionist who had another room, they had a study room downstairs with all of the various collections. Downstairs, they had a nice little lady called Sarah Guitar, who was the archivist who took care of those of us who worked down there. And it was essentially a three-person operation. The workroom was open to scholars generally on Saturday. I could do it at other times because I was a student. Then when Dr. Shoemaker retired, the society got one of the most dynamic men I've ever known. And this was my good friend, Dick Browning, who was also a Civil War historian. He had written a book on the guerrilla warfare about three or four years before I did mine. And Dick is the one who built essentially the modern state historical society, got the space from the university to expand not only in terms of the historical society, but also to establish the Western manuscript collection and also to establish the branch at UMKC and, and UMSL and, and so on. And uh, the historical society owes a great debt to, to Dick Brownlee. I know they're very much aware of that. And it's moved on from there. Our friend Gary took it over and the middle of a different circumstance. And uh, Gary has done a wonderful, wonderful job of continuing the building. And look at the nice new wonderful building you've got. He brought in the right people to serve on his board of directors. He had been uh, the state archivist and uh, he knew who and when and where and what. It's just great to what, what you now have. Gary and I have worked on a whole lot of things 
for an awful long time, and I have tremendous, tremendous respect for him. Something I'm particularly interested in is at the time that you're finishing grad school and even publishing some of those first books, you know, on David Wright's Asherson and, and even later on with the Turbulent Partnership, you know, this is the centennial, that point would have been the centennial of the Civil War. So at that time, how was the Civil War interpreted, not only from a public perspective, but even in, in the writings of fellow scholars on the period? Well, I think we were beginning to change our attitude in relation to the Civil War, to put more emphasis on slavery as opposed to states' rights, although the South never got over the states' rights emphasis. We had the Civil War centennial, and that was a very big, big time. We, uh, I was with a group of scholars who got out a very massive two or three volume uh, set, which uh, went into great detail about different aspects of the war. I, I had the section on state and local history there in which I put together all of the books that had been done on state and local history. Uh, and uh, other scholars were doing the same thing with regard to the areas that uh, they were in, whether it was military or presidential or what. The country really got into the celebration of the Civil War centennial. And I think uh, came into uh, a better understanding of what it was all about. We began to move into this new era of trying to see the war in many respects as a tragic episode on the one hand. I later did a, a, a study book for Holt Reinhardt uh, on uh, the Civil War was the second American Revolution because it was in terms of the start of uh, the post-war expansion into the West, the start of uh, essentially the Industrial Revolution, uh, which came over the next 60, 75 years. The South, of course, developed the lost cause uh, syndrome during that period with all the statues that have now come down for good or ill. So it was, it was a time of, of transition uh, in the 60s. Thinking as well about year, a couple of years later, the centennial of Reconstruction, how was Reconstruction approached? And, and thinking of uh, your book, Missouri Under Radical Rule, was yours the first to really look at Reconstruction Missouri? Oh, yes. There had been nothing of any consequence done before that except in, what shall we say, this aspect or that aspect, or but nothing had been done overall on Reconstruction in Missouri until I, I did it. So what I did there was simply trying to bring together a whole variety of elements uh, out of the scraps that had been done here, there, and elsewhere, and, uh, and present the entire picture. You have so many webs coming together, the social and economic uh, aspects coming out of the war, uh, plus uh, the political with, with the radicals who overplayed their hand to say the least and consequently uh, turned Missouri ultimately into a solid democratic state back in those days. It's no longer that obviously, but yes, mine was the first 
overall view of, of reconstruction, putting together the whole picture. Before that, uh, the big emphasis, if you want to call it that, in the post-war period was Jesse James, all of his kin that went with him in terms of disturbing the atmosphere. Of, and a lot of that uh, was said to be coming out of the way in which uh, the pro-Confederates had been mistreated along the border, this sort of thing. Now, as we get into the 60s and the 1970s, you're involved with a, a large project through the University of Missouri Press, uh, the History of Missouri series, which looks at Missouri's not only through the colonial period, but really up until the 20th century. So talk a little bit about how that came to be and who the key contributors were beyond yourself. Jim Bug was originally the general editor. And we had it set up that we were to bring out a volume a year starting in 1970 for the 150th anniversary. We got uh, the three volumes out. Jim picked the authors initially, but then Jim was uh, selected to be the dean of the campus down in St. Louis, University of Missouri, St. Louis. And that was a major responsibility for him as he went down there. So he called me and said, will you take over the editorship of this? I just can't handle both of them. And after a little bit of thought, I said, okay, I will. So I became the, the general editor for the series. And we got the first three books out right on time, 1971, 72, 73. This carried it up through Reconstruction. We had uh, the book by Perry McCandless on the colonial, uh, no, excuse me, Bill Foley on the colonial period, and then Perry McCandless on the uh, pre-Civil War period. And then we ran into difficulties. We had uh, selected a faculty member at the University of Missouri, David Thielen. So he wrote volume four, which was on the uh, Gilded Age, so to speak, up to World War I. And uh, it had a, what shall I say, uh, a very liberal leaning in terms of its interpretation. And the advisory board at the University of Missouri Press turned it down. Well, that left us in the lurch. And at that point, I turned to our good friends, Gary and Larry Christensen, put together volume four, but it was, it was delayed. It, I don't remember exactly the year that it came out. We had a period there of about four or five years. And then uh, we went for another, time period, Dick Kirkendall, who had taught at the University of Missouri and then moved to the University of Washington, had been selected to do the modern uh, volume on Missouri history, bringing it up through World War II and, and beyond. And he got it done in pretty good shape. So we had a celebration down at Rolla where Christensen taught and uh, celebrating the completion of the five volume history of Missouri. And we discovered all of a sudden that uh, it only came, this, this was in all around 1985, 1990. And uh, we discovered that uh, there was still a lot of history left. 
So it was decided to bring out a volume six. And uh, for that, uh, we turned to Larry Larson, who was teaching out at UMKC. And uh, after a couple of years, uh, we got that book out and that's the series, six volumes. It was a major project that eventually took over 15 years to, to totally complete. My regret, it should be that six, six volumes uh, should be in every school library and every public library in the state. And I've been in some of them and it's not there. So it, that discourages me. But it's still in print. And uh, I think with the new uh, director of the uh, press is seeking to, um, to rejuvenate it. We brought out a paperback edition, and uh, so I'm, I'm pleased with, with all of that. And turning back to, to some of your earlier works, too, you, know, you focused on time periods, the Civil War in Missouri, Reconstruction in Missouri, but you've also written a couple of biographies focusing on Thomas Hart Benton, David Rice Atchison, and Frank Blair. Did you find those more challenging than your other works by focusing on the individual versus the time period? Doing a biography is a different piece of cake than simply writing straight history. Because you're concentrating on this individual's career, you want to make sure that you bring forward his accomplishments or her accomplishments, in my case, his. And uh, you have to be very careful that you don't, that, that you give a balanced picture of the man. Now, my two biographies, the one was David Rice Axson, which was my dissertation. And I was very fortunate. There had never been any Axson papers, but I discovered that he had uh, some uh, great nieces still surviving out in Western Missouri. So I contacted them, went out and visited with them and they had some family papers that had just been sitting there. I got those and brought them in, and they're in Western manuscripts. And that, that helped me, of course, a, a considerable amount. They weren't a large set of papers, but they, they, were, they, they had some good, good things in them. Atchison's career was pretty much, what shall I say, straightforward. He's an overlooked man in, in, in American history. He went to the Senate in 1845, and within uh, three years, he became president pro tem of the Senate, which was then a, an appointed job by his colleagues. And he remained president pro tem of the Senate all the way through until uh, he was defeated for reelection in 1855. His big distinction, interestingly enough, uh, in that regard, was that presumably he served as president for one day in 1849. It so happened that uh, Inauguration Day, which was then March the 4th, came on Sunday, and Zachary Taylor, the incoming president, refused to take the oath on the Sabbath. So, um, in those days, uh, the Senate uh, 
and Congress worked right down to the wire in the previous session and they adjourned about midnight on March the 3rd. And uh, so the question is, who is president from midnight March the 3rd until March the 5th when Zachary Taylor takes the oath? And uh, under the law at that time, it went to the vice president, whom we didn't have either, and then to the president pro tem of the Senate. So when asked about uh, what he did during his term in office, uh, Atchison said, I simply went home and took a good long rest. But uh, that got a lot of attention. I remember uh, appearing before the state Senate on one occasion, and I made the statement, uh, I was asked the question by one of the senators, how many presidents have we had uh, from Missouri? And I mentioned simply Truman. And he said, are you sure about that? He knew who I was. He knew what I'd done, what I'd written. And so I backtracked and, and of course, threw in Atchison. Interestingly enough, I don't remember the exact date of this. I guess it must have been 1999, which would have been the 150th anniversary of that occasion. I got a call from public radio. They have this, at that point anyway, they had this thing at 5 or 5.30, a little tidbit of what went on. That, and they interviewed me as about Natchison and the president for a day and so on. And of course, that went on national radio and I had people calling me from all over. Hey, I picked you up on the whatever program that was. It was a very popular program at that point before TV took over. And so we had a good laugh out of that. As for the Blair biography, Bill Foley had become at that point the editor for the Missouri biography series for the press. And he called me and asked me to do the, the Blair. And uh, I had always been, Blair played a very prominent part in the, in the war. So I, I took it on and, and I had a good time with it. Virginia Lass uh, did uh, a book on Blair's sister. And uh, so she had a large collection of Blair papers with correspondence between the two of them family correspondence, that sort of thing, which he very, very generously loaned me. The bulk of the papers are at uh, Princeton and, and in the LC, of course. But Virginia very kindly set it up for me to visit Blair House uh, in Washington. And that was a, a very, very nice experience. The curator of the house took me all the way through and most people aren't aware that Blair House is really two homes put together because originally one of the homes, the one on the uh, right or the east as you, as you face, face it, is uh, belonged to the senior Blairs, Frank's father and mother. And the one on the left belonged to Frank's brother Montgomery, who had been, who was the postmaster general during the war. And uh, unfortunately, Mrs. Montgomery Blair did not get along very well with her mother-in-law, 
And as a result, they constantly referred to each other as Mrs. Number Four, Mrs. Number Six, uh, when they corresponded. And the two houses are not exactly on the same level, so that when you go from number six, which is the Montgomery house, into number four, which is the family home, you have to go down a slight ramp to get from one to the other, because after the houses were given to the government in the 1920s, uh, they were put together, of course, for the purpose for which they're now used. And uh, so they were, they shared a common wall there in the middle. Anyway, those, those two uh, biographies came about uh, in those fashions and I, I enjoyed writing biographies. Well, as someone who was both attended as a student and then later taught a class on Missouri history, I, I noted that Missouri, the heart of a nation was a very frequently used textbook in, in a lot of these Missouri history classes. Take us through that creation of what could arguably be one of the most widely used textbooks on Missouri history. Well, I put together that book working with the Harlan Davidson Press. They had a series of state histories uh, that they were developing back there in the uh, 1970s. And working with, with Andrew Davidson uh, and his family who who owned the, the press, it was really called the, originally called the Forum Press and then the Davidsons took it over. I, uh, I agreed to do the history of, of Missouri, but I obviously was not uh, up to doing the whole thing. So I got two colleagues involved. One was Larry Christensen down at Rolla and the other one was Charles Jones who taught at William Woods. And so Chuck Jones uh, took the early part of it, uh, of, the, uh, of the history. I took the middle part and Larry uh, Christensen and Chris took the, the modern part. And we signed the contract and about three months later, I decided to leave Westminster after 24 years and come down here. So I brought that Missouri history project with me down to Mississippi. And we worked on it and proceeded to get it out. We just brought out the fourth edition two years ago. I'm very, very pleased with that. In the meantime, Chuck Jones had uh, bowed out and, and passed away. And then Larry passed away quite suddenly uh, a couple of years ago. Although he had been very much involved in planning for the fourth edition. And we had a young man up at uh, Columbia College who had been using the textbook and whom uh, the Wiley Press, which had now assumed control over it because they bought out Harley Davidson's. And putting together a textbook now, the publisher wants you to have all kinds of test questions and they want to digital version and so on, which is beyond me. So um, Luck and Bell uh, up at Columbia College did all of that. We worked together and his name is now on the book, on the, on the cover as, as a co-author. And he did a wonderful job of 
putting together that aspect of it. I, I worked on the revisions with him uh, in terms of updating material and so on and so forth. And the book has done really quite well. It is still, after all these 40 years, uh, as you indicate, the most popular and widely used Missouri history textbook. The unfortunate thing is that you don't require Missouri history up there like we require Mississippi history down here. But uh, that's how all that came about. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate the conversation. Well, I'm glad to do it. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>